0: If you will please rise for our reading of scripture this morning. Our scripture is coming from Luke chapter 1. Another passage that we frequently turn to in this season of Advent. This is a praise on the lips of Mary. Luke 1, verses 46 to 55. And the text reads, And Mary said that my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked with favor on the lowliness of His servants. Surely from now on, generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. To Abraham and to his descendants forever. Amen. 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 The word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, to God. It's my friends. Jesus is the answer, amen? Yeah. Amen. doesn't matter what we're going through, does it? Jesus always manages to have the solution, doesn't he? Yeah, Amen? Yeah, yeah. Yes, my friends. Yeah, yeah. The truth is that sometimes we don't even fully realize the questions that we may face, the circumstances in which we find ourselves. But Jesus still managed to have the answer. Amen? Amen. Oh yes, Jesus is the answer. Yet admittedly, for being the answer, Jesus has a remarkable knack for raising some questions, doesn't it? Sometimes when I read the stories of Jesus, He does things that catch me off guard. Things that make me scratch my head. It doesn't matter how many times I've studied the stories of Jesus. I can always find something in there that makes me say, Really? Yes, for being the answer. Jesus has a remarkable way of raising questions. Amen, church? Amen. Oh, yes. You know, I think about John chapter 6 in this this fantastic story when Jesus is teaching the people. This is where he used that famous analogy. He says, I am the bread of life. Do you remember that story? Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful story when Jesus uses the allusion to the manna that God used to feed the Israelites when they were wandering in the wilderness. The Israelites out there wandering, they were hungry, and so God sends this, this bread, this manna down from heaven to feed them. And So Jesus uses that analogy to say, I am the bread of life. You know, your ancestors, they ate this bread from heaven for a little bit, but they became hungry again. If, if you partake in what I have to offer, you will not hunger again. And, and what surprised me about this story is that people completely miss the purpose of the analogy. You know, they take his, his teaching here quite literally, and they start asking themselves, wait so we're supposed to eat you? It's okay. Not all of us are good with literary analogies or symbolism. It's all right. Jesus is here. They raise a question. Jesus has an answer, right? Jesus will fix this. And so Jesus says, uh, he says Verily, verily, I say unto you that you must eat the Son of Man and drink his blood to have eternal life. And I'm like, oh Jesus, really? Did you have to go there. They were already having trouble with your metaphors. You <laughs> like okay, here's the thing. In Christianity, we we understand what that teaches, right? When Jesus talks about e- eating of his body and drinking of his blood, we see that as symbolism for, for the Eucharist, the communion that, that we take as Christians. Uh, a moment, a ritual when we remember the broken body of Jesus on our behalf, the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf, the fact that we partake of that. We're a part of that story. Okay? But imagine standing there in the first century world and hearing Jesus say that. Imagine being one of the disciples, and the crowd's already misunderstanding his metaphor about bread. And so he goes and says, yes, you have to eat my body. I think, really, Jesus? You couldn't have found a metaphor just a little more palatable? Jesus makes me scratch my head. You know, he raises some questions. And like, I understand it. Why John tells the story. Because in John, Jesus is of heavenly origins. Okay, Jesus comes down from heaven to earth. And if you don't understand that, you will misunderstand who Jesus is and what he offers. In the gospel, according to John, if you think Jesus is just another human teacher, if you think Jesus is just another miracle worker, you will misunderstand what Jesus has to offer. And so throughout the gospel, John, people are constantly misunderstanding him because Jesus is speaking about spiritual things and they are interpreting him literally as if he were speaking about this physical world. And so Jesus uses this analogy that you must partake of my body. You must eat my body and drink my blood. And they hear him literally and they misunderstand him. Okay, I understand why John includes the story. It just raises some questions. Really, Jesus? He couldn't have found a different metaphor for that moment to help people along a little bit? You know, we're like that story in Luke. You all know, remember that story in Luke 18, the story of the rich young ruler? You know, the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, and he says, uh, uh, good teacher, and and to begin with, Jesus stops him right there and says, why do you call me good? You know no one but God is good. And and my my first thought is, okay, I understand what you mean, Jesus, you are right, but he's trying to pay you a compliment, okay, come on. Um, But then the second thing that this man says, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? And so Jesus says, well, do you know the commandments? And the man says, yes, I've kept all the commandments since I was young. And so Jesus says, all right, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And then come back and follow. Uh And like in, in Christianity, we teach this story. We understand what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus is showing that sometimes... We, we spend so much time focusing on building a material life here in this world that we have a hard time conceptualizing life after this world. That right. is to say, when we invest so much of what we have and who we are into this life, we may find it difficult to invest in the next life, okay? We understand what Jesus is doing here, but it still raises some questions. Imagine standing there in the first century world being one of Jesus' disciples in hear or, New Or better yet, okay. Imagine someone walks into this church, right? And they ask them, they say, what must I do to have eternal life? And I say, well, have you played by all the rules? And they say, well, yes, of course I did. And I say, okay, well, you should go sell your car first. And then go sell your home. And then give all the money to the poor. And then come back and we'll talk. I know one of y'all would stand up and say, Preacher. We got this covered. You have a seat, okay? We'll get them a Bible. We'll pray with them. We'll get them plugged in. Some discipleship, right? Maybe we'll have to fill out the little card. We still do the little cards, right? Yeah. Okay. Because when someone comes to us and says, "I want eternal life. How do I, how do I find eternal life?" We want them walking away saved, not sad, right? Yeah. And and so I read this story and I think, man, Jesus, he could have been like a little more uh, diplomatic, right? You know, maybe maybe Jesus could have used some of that. Evangelism training that we do, right? That evangelism explosion or those trainings that we do to learn how to share the faith. I see Jesus do this. And it just raises questions. And I understand why Luke includes this story. Because in Luke, Jesus is the champion of the poor. Luke wants to show us when we get tied down with material possessions, we're going to have a very hard time investing in the next world, in a non material world. Right? This is a theme all throughout Luke. I understand why Luke includes the story, but still, when I read it, it raises some questions for me. You know, for being the answer, Jesus is so good at raising questions, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, my friends. I mean, we think about all the times that people come to Jesus and they think they understand God until they encounter Jesus. And then they walk away thinking, i got to rethink a few things. We think about all the times when people come to Jesus and they think they understand the scriptures until they have a conversation with Jesus and then they walk away and they think, well, maybe I have to rethink a few things. We think about all the times when people come to Jesus in the stories and they think they understand this world. They think they understand what they have to do in this life. And Jesus sends them away with a few questions for all of their answers. Yes, my friends. Think about all those times in the stories. It's it's, it's like you remember the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus is a teacher of the people. And here's the thing. When we talk about Pharisees, we have to realize in in Christianity sometimes, we, we give the Pharisees a bad reputation. Okay, because they're always debating Jesus. And we tend to, in Christianity, view Jesus as always right. And so in our stories, they tend to be wrong. Okay, but we have to understand in the first century world, the Pharisees were very respected teachers of the people. They were people who would give up their lives to go get the best education of their day in order to go teach your children how to read, how to write, how to study Torah. They were very well-respected. They were very learned. This is someone who should know the scriptures, right? This is someone who has the answers, right? And then he comes and he encounters Jesus. Nicodemus isn't so sure. He's not understanding what Jesus is saying, right? Do you remember what time uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus? In the night, right? It's dark. Oh, and John, John loves playing this imagery of light and dark, doesn't he? Yeah, because John, in the very beginning, John is going to say, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not understand it. And so we see throughout the Gospel of John, as John is showing us how people are constantly misunderstanding Jesus, John is going to remind us, oh, by the way, and it was dark out, They're misunderstanding. Even John the Baptist, you know, John the Baptist is someone that we expect to understand Jesus, right? John the Baptist is Jesus' earliest advocate. John the Baptist is someone who's a forerunner for the Messiah. You would think if there was anyone who would understand the Messiah, it would be John the Baptist, right? Yes. And even in Luke 7, John the Baptist sends a messenger to Jesus and says, Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one we're waiting for? Because i got to be honest, you're not looking the way I expected. You're not talking the way I expected. All the characters in the stories who we expect to have understanding, who have the learning, the education, or are positioned in a a place in relationship to Jesus that makes us think they should understand. It's amazing how many times they do not understand. They think they understand until they come to Jesus. Because you see, my friends, for being the answer, Jesus has a remarkable knack for sending us away with some questions, doesn't he? Yes. yes, my friends. When we come to Jesus and we think we understand God, we might just want to get ready because Jesus is going to show us that maybe we don't understand as much as we thought. When we come to Jesus and we think that we understand the Scriptures, we might want to get ready because Jesus just might flip what we think is our understanding upside down. When we think we understand the world and the way that it works, and we come to Jesus, we should be ready because Jesus just might flip our certainty upside down. Yeah. Are you sure? One encounter with Jesus might raise some questions to make us rethink the way we've been doing things. One encounter with Jesus might raise some questions to make us rethink our priorities in life or our values in life. When we come to Jesus and we think we have understanding, Jesus has a way of flipping our world upside down. My friends, when I come to Jesus and I think I have a plan for my life, Jesus has a way of flipping my plans upside down. My friends, when I come to Jesus and I think that I have it all figured out, Jesus has a way of flipping my certainty upside down. Turn and tell someone it's about to get upside down. And here's the thing. It works the other way too, doesn't it? Right? When when I come to Jesus with all my pride, Jesus will flip that upside down, won't he? Yeah. Yeah. When I come to Jesus with all my certainty that I know how things work, Jesus will flip that upside down, won't he? He will. Yeah, but it works the other way too, doesn't it? If I come to Jesus in humility, if I come to Jesus and I'm not so sure, if I come to Jesus with my brokenness, Mm, he'll flip that upside down too, won't he? Oh yes, my friends, because just like how we have a lot of stories of people who are supposed to get it, and their certainty is flipped upside down, we also have a lot of stories of people who look like they're not going to get it, right? We have a lot of people who come to Jesus who don't look like they're going to have understanding And Jesus flips that upside down, too, doesn't he? Ah, yes. Jesus, I haven't studied much. I don't think I have read enough to understand the kingdom of God. Are you sure? Come to Jesus, he just might flip that uncertainty upside down. Jesus, I don't have a plan. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this season of my life. You come to Jesus, are you sure? He just might have a way to get you through. Jesus, I'm really uncertain in the moment. Are you sure? Jesus has got you. Oh, my friends, Jesus has this remarkable ability to take whatever we come with and flip it upside down. If we come to Jesus and we think we understand the world around us, we think we understand how to succeed in this life, Jesus just might flip what we think upside down. And in the same way, if we come to Jesus in humility, with our hat in our hands, uncertain about what's next, he just might flip that upside down too. Don't believe me? Remember that story about Nicodemus? Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the teacher of the people. If there's anyone who's going to understand, it would be Nicodemus, wouldn't it? Ah, yes. But Nicodemus is sent away with a few questions, isn't he? Well, what's the very next story? The Samaritan woman at the well, right? Watch this. In, Luke, in John chapter 2, it says that the people wanted to make Jesus king. But Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew what was in the hearts of men. John chapter 2 ends by saying Jesus knows what's in the heart of man And then John 3 opens Now there was a man Do you think John did that on accident? A man, a Pharisee, named Nicodemus Nicodemus doesn't understand, does he? Okay, well let's keep reading to the next story Nicodemus comes in the night The next story takes place in the day Jesus is at a well And there a Samaritan woman approaches And Jesus just asks her Can I have some water? And she pauses and she says Why exactly are you talking to me? Right? Because she knew where she fell on the social hierarchy of the ancient first century Jewish world. And if I may take a moment to digress and to mention that sometimes we should pay attention to the ways in which we reinforce our social hierarchies, the ways in which we want to position ourselves in relationship to others in order to justify looking down at our neighbors. But that is probably a sermon for another day, isn't it? (laughs) About the ways in which sometimes I want to lift myself up Make myself feel better by pushing others around me now. But those of social hierarchies. she knows where she falls on the social hierarchy. Not only is she a Samaritan, and uh, the Jewish men were not exactly um, amenable to Samaritans at the time. Not only is she a woman, and uh, here we have a man, a teacher, speaking to her. But also, she has had five husbands. Yeah, Y'all know people were talking to. <laughs> It wasn't just Jewish men that would look down on her. You know the other women in town would talk also, right? You know that she was the subject of gossip. But then she encounters Jesus. This is someone that we do not expect to understand. She is the exact opposite of Nicodemus, the teacher of the Jewish people. Though She's the exact opposite. You know what? She gets it. She sees who Jesus is. She sees what Jesus offers. And by the time we get to the end of this story, she is reaping in a great harvest for the kingdom of God. You see, my friends, has a way of flipping things upside down, doesn't he? Yes, yes, he does. yes my friends. Turn tell us a about to get upside down. Because you see, my friends, when we come to Jesus filled with our own pride, he has a way of humbling us. But when we come to Jesus with little, he has a way of filling us up. Jesus is here to flip this world upside down. It's like that old hymn. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Mm-hmm. Y'all know that yeah. 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 Because Jesus is here to flip this world upside down. When I start living like the sole purpose of my life is to go out and make that money, even at the expense of my neighbors, I'm going to need a Jesus who is going to flip my world upside down. Yes, my friends, when I begin valuing my own comforts. Over my neighbor. When I would rather turn a blind eye to the pain that sits beside me. So that I can justify living in comfort. I'm going to need a Jesus. Who's going to turn my world upside down. Yes, my friends. When I begin valuing myself. When I think that I am the master of my own fate. Mm -hmm. When I think that my plans are what rule my life. I just might need a Jesus who's going to do what to my life? Turn it upside down. And it works the other way. Because when I look at my life and all I hold is brokenness, I'm not a Jesus who's going to turn my world upside down. Amen? When I look at my life and I'm not so certain, I just might need to encounter a Jesus who's going to turn my world upside down. When I'm scared. When I'm broke. When I'm hurt. When I don't know how I'm going to take that next step. I just might want a Jesus who's going to take that and flip it upside down. Amen, church? Because Jesus has a knack for taking what we have and flipping it upside down. See, my friends, we might see this nowhere more clear than in Mary's Magnificat. The passage that we read for this morning. The passage that occurs at the very beginning of the story of Jesus in the Gospel according to Luke. You see, Luke opens up the story of Jesus with four praises, four hymns. We get a praise on the lips of a priest. A priest, that's someone who understands, right? Yeah, yeah, they've done their learning, right? We get a, a, a prayer on the lips of angels. Angels, they understand, right? Yes. We even get a prayer on the lips of Simeon, who's a, um, he's one of the tzaddik, what, what we would say, he's one of the righteous men of his time. He's someone who, on whom the Holy Spirit rests. But you know who gets the first praise? You know who gets the first praise of our Lord and Savior in this world? an unmarried, pregnant, teenage woman. Yes. Mary. And she understands. Yes. You know people talked about her too. You know people wanted to pu- push her down on the uh, social hierarchy. You know people did not value her voice in the first century world. But yet she got the first praise of our Lord and Savior. Can you imagine that? She knew that Jesus was about to flip this world upside down. Listen to this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the loneliness of his servants. Where did Mary feel she was in that world? But yet she knew that God looks and says, I see you. You may feel very low on the social, but I see you. People may be talking about you, but I see you. Uh and she keeps going surely from now on generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and the whole and holy is his name his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts he has brought down Thrones, and yet he has lifted up the lowly. My friends, Jesus is about to do what? He's about to flip this world. When I come to Jesus in the pride of my heart, he's going to flip that pride. When I think I understand what this world is about, he's going to flip my understanding. When I'm willing to play by the rules of this world. world upside down. He has helped to serve Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. There's one thing Mary understood. That young, unmarried, pregnant teenage woman in the first century world, she understood that Jesus was about to flip this world upside down. All the things we thought were important about to get flipped upside down. All the things we thought we valued about to get flipped upside down. And you see, my friends, here's the thing. The thing is that when Jesus flips our world upside down, we tend to start viewing things a little bit differently. We tend to start viewing things with a slightly different perspective. And when we begin viewing the world differently, we will begin engaging the world differently. Does anyone know that a change in belief, a change in thought, will lead to a change in action, And you see, my friends, all of a sudden, Jesus is not the only one who is viewing the world upside down. All of a sudden, Jesus is not the only one who is raising some questions. Because suddenly, we, the followers, who have experienced this Jesus, we start raising some questions too, don't we? Yeah. Because the world starts telling us, all that matters is you go up and make that money. Oh, but you know what? Things are a little bit upside down for me right now. Oh, things are a little bit upside down for me right now. From where I'm looking, there are some values that are a little bit difference. You see, I'm not willing to go out and make that money at the expense of my neighbor. I value things a little bit differently. The world may say if they hit you, you hit them back. If they insult you, if they uh, hurt your pride, you go back after them. But you see, we're upside down right now. Things look a little bit differently from here, don't they? Yes, my friends, they do. And you know what? When people are throwing curses at me and I find myself in this upside down world, well, suddenly... I might be able to take some of those curses and turn those into some blessings, right? Oh, is mean? Yes, my friends? Things sure look differently once our world is flipped upside down. <clears throat> Suddenly, our values are different. Suddenly, the things that we cherish are different. <clears throat> my friends, Jesus will take whatever we have and flip it upside down. <clears throat> see, here's the thing, my friends. This is a remarkable reflection. During the time of Advent. Because in this Advent season, we remember what it's like to wait for our Savior to come into this world. (laughs) Anticipating meeting Jesus when he first enters this world. In many ways, we prepare ourselves to meet Jesus for the first time in the Nativity. But here's the thing. For many of us, we have encountered this Jesus at some point before. We've heard the teachings. We've heard the stories. At some point, we can all look back in our lives and point to a moment where Jesus flipped our world upside down. Which means in this time of Advent, when we are preparing ourselves to meet our Savior for the first time, we are preparing ourselves to meet Jesus for the first time again. Because if we come to Jesus and we think we understand everything that he has to offer, how many of you guys know that no matter how many times we study these stories, Jesus will still have something new for us. How many of you guys know that? No matter how many times we come before our God in prayer, He will still find something new for us. See, my friends, in Advent, we are preparing to meet a Savior in a new way, recognizing that there is something new that our Savior has to offer to us in this season. We search through our hearts and recognize that all the things we may feel so certain in, Jesus can still find something to flip upside down in our lives. And the truth is that we carry around a lot with us. It needs to be flipped upside down, don't we? Right, right. Doesn't matter how many times we encounter Jesus, he will still find something inside of us that he can flip upside down. If only we let him. See, my friends, we all walked in here today carrying a bag. I may not know what's in your bag. I may not know how heavy it is. But we all walked in here carrying something with us. And that something with us just might weigh us down in this life. It might make us tired of carrying it throughout the day. I don't know what's in the back. But I know that whatever you're carrying, if you reach in there and you pull it out and you hand it to Jesus, he will flip it upside down. I may be carrying my pride around with me. I may be carrying my ego around with me. I may be carrying my self-centeredness around with me if I reach in there and take that out. Jesus will flip that upside down for a moment. And I may be carrying with me that brokenness. I may be carrying with me that pain. I may be carrying with me that uncertainty. And if I reach into that bag and pull it out and hand it to Jesus, what will he do with it? He will flip it upside down. That's what Jesus does. That's why every time we come to Jesus, he can give us something new. That's why no matter how many times we read these stories, we can always find a way that Jesus raises a question for that Jesus is ready to flip our world upside down once again. So my question, church, this morning, is are you ready? Are you ready to encounter the Savior of this world for the first time again? Are you ready for Jesus to flip something upside down? I don't know what you carried with you into this church, but I'm here to say you know. You can reach into that bag today and hand it back to Jesus and watch him flip some things upside down. Doors of the church are open. This Hi, my name is Nicholas Wurst. I'm the executive minister here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. I just want to say thank you for listening. You can learn more about our church online at onefellowshipumc.org, and you can like us on Facebook to stay up to date with all of the latest events in our community. Please feel free to share this message and others online so that more people can learn about what God is doing here at One Fellowship. Thank you, and God bless.